This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded, this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, welcome to Ozpol Snack Pod, the podcast that is kind of like Vitawits, structured yet versatile. That's right, we're the podcast that brings you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with plenty of memes. We're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group, which for the last couple of months has been called Deadly Ozpol Shitposting. So if you like memes, you like shitposts, and you like Australian news for some reason, go and join that group. Uh, my name's Noon, and you heard him just before, there's my co-host. Hey, what's up? Zach the Snack. How you doing, Noon? Uh, actually, way worse than I probably have sounded for the last 15 seconds. Uh, had a, <laughs> just a bad morning. Um, so yeah, I'm planning on smashing out this intro and then being low energy until the end of the show. So uh, mm. yeah. All right, that's good. I've been keeping an extremely low emotional affect throughout the entire week, saving up all my bubbliness for this mm. one, one and a half hour chunk that we record, and then I'm going to go retreat back into my stoic shell after this. Well, there's... Good reason to be bubbly and excited because we have a new patron, Katie. So thank you so much, Katie, for uh, signing up. Um, and we also want to say shout outs to Michael and Robs for increasing your donation pledges. Thank you so much. And listeners, if you like the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Ospol Snackpod. If you give us $1 a month, you get a monthly bonus episode. Uh, you can hang out in the Discord and see photos of the food that we eat as well as other things. That's not the only thing that happens there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is so- the grossest thing. <laughs> Often. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and also if you like the show but you don't want to or can't give us money, please leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts is the best place to do that. We're doing a review drive at the moment where we are begging you to give us reviews. Some we are people trying to get to 100. did give us reviews this week, including things saying like, if I do this, will you stop nagging me? And the answer is yes. The person, we, we you, will, at least wait, You can just like fully tune out while we beg for reviews. That's, yes, that's exactly. the gift that you have given yourself by giving us the gift of a review. Yeah, it's a it, look, it's a reciprocal thing. We're trying to get up to 100 reviews. We're at 94 right now, so we only need a few more, you know. Roughly probably six. Probably <laughs> six or so to get up to that number. <laughs> uh, so help us out. Uh, but no, you mentioned uh, that the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group, of which we are the official podcast, yeah, has been named Deadly Old Pole Shit Posting for the last couple of months. Now, why would that have been? <laughs> well, uh, friend of the pod and host of Originals, Travis DeVries, uh, did some memes about it, basically. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, Femo Shit Posting, which is run by um, also friend of the show, Nadine uh, Shermley, I think I'm saying that right, Nadine. If I've got it completely wrong, please blast me. So they became deadly femo shit posting. We became deadly Ozpol shit posting, and Travis set up deadly shit posting. So it's been a bit of a, it was a thing. And I was like, cool, let's change the name for a month, and then we'll time it so it's the end of Nadoc week. Uh, it'll it'll be great. So it'll be on for a month. Um, but you know, I'm inattentive, shall we say, and sort of confused <laughs> June with July. 
which is, you know, it's probably one of the more reasonable months con- month confusions. So anyway, it, we've been deadly Ozpol shitposting for two months, uh, and, and will be until the end of the week. Which but is... Now, it is actually the end of Night Up Week. Yes. That's right. Yes. Um, so I thought... Uh, well, we thought that this week, um, since it is the end of NADOC week, that um, we would focus on First Nations stories this week. And I thought I'd kick it off by talking a little bit about NADOC week itself, mm. give a bit of its history, and see if we can answer the question why it's called NADOC week. Because yes, it is NADOC a bit stands mysterious. for National. Yeah, NADOC stands for National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee. Uh, Week, so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was like, why, "Why is that happening?" But let's let's start from the beginning. So, what is NIDOC? If you're not familiar, from this is a quote from the NIDOC website: NIDOC Week celebrations are held across Australia each July to celebrate the history, culture, and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So, not to be confused with Reconciliation Week, mm-hmm. uh, for example. Uh, I have heard it said. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know who said this, but I've heard it said that Reconciliation Week is for white people and NIDOC is for black people. So maybe that's the uh, maybe that's one way to keep it straight in your head. Um, but so NIDOC emerged out of protest initially against uh, what was not yet called Australia Day at the time mm. in 1938. So in 1938 was the 150th anniversary of colonization. We've talked about the history of Australia Day a little bit yeah. on um, our previous episode which I think was called Non-Existent Pavlova, which I'm pretty happy with that. Um, but uh, also on this uh, 150th anniversary was the first, what was called Day of Mourning, um, which was a protest against celebrating, uh, you know, uh, the colonization of Australia. Yep. Um, so there was this, yeah, this kind of, uh, the first iteration of what would eventually become Invasion Day. Um, so until the mid-50s, this Day of Mourning was held on the Sunday before Australia Day. Um, and then in 55, it switched to the first Sunday in July. The idea being that this would not just be a day of mourning, but also celebration. Mm-hmm. So after this, NADOC was formed, which is the National Aborigines Day Observance Committee. Okay. Um, Without the yes. islanders. So there's no I in there at this stage. Also, it's, I'm just checking it's Aborigines, which is not a word that we it's would not, normally... Yeah say no but it yeah. is in the name so that's why we're yeah. saying it yeah yes exactly yeah uh you don't use that word outside of this context potentially not in it either um i don't i think you know nadoc as an acronym has just become a word in and of itself at this totally, stage yeah. it doesn't really mean you know what it was initially standing mm-hmm. for at this stage but yes that's what it initially st- stood for and so um when NADOC was formed, the the committee was formed, uh, they said that the second Sunday, Sunday in July would become a day of mourning. So first right, sun, Sunday right. of July, celebration. Second Sunday of July, mourning. And then in the 70s, NADOC decided that the event should cover the whole week. Because, gotcha. yeah, great, why not? You've already got those two Sundays there. Just fill in the gaps. So I reckon that's probably why it's now known as NADOC Week. Because... You know, before it was the it was about National Aborigines Day, um, and then there and were then two days, and then there, yeah, e- there was a week. Exactly, okay, yeah, yeah. So I reckon that's you know that's kind of the best approximation that I can come up with it. So then, uh, in the eighties, there were calls for um, 
there to be a public holiday during Night Elk Week. Uh, and then in the 90s, the I for Islanders was added into NADOC National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee, even though by that point it was a week already. So, do you know, does the Observance Committee yep. still exist? Well, so <laughs> there is like a committee that runs NADOC, but it's got a different acronym, okay. NNC, the National NADOC Committee. So the second <laughs> N in NNC stands for NADOC. Okay. Which, so the yeah. organizing committee... Okay. All right. Yeah. That's the, and fine. They, you know, they make the decisions like what the theme is going to be for yeah, the year, yeah. like who gets awarded the NADOC Day uh, award, the NADOC Week awards. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but so, yeah, I just wanted to touch on uh, this uh, the calls to for, for there to be a public holiday mm-hmm. uh, during NADOC Week. So, this, this year, there have been calls from the Victorian First Peoples Assembly, which, you know, is, is probably worth noting that there has been some debate around whether or not that's a truly representative body for indigenous people in victoria um lydia thorpe for example is someone who uh yeah i think has a lot of issues with them there was also uh sissy austin resigned Mm, last year after the jabberung uh uh, trees were felled but um there have been calls for you know they've called for a public holiday to to be held uh during nedoc week um they don't want it to replace an existing holiday Although on this week's special NADOC episode of uh, the podcast Bro Originals, friends of the show, uh, it was suggested like, hey, uh, it seems like we have this shit day that shouldn't be a holiday, mm. and uh, we have this great week where maybe there could be a cool holiday. So, mm. hmm, I don't know. Seems like simple maths to me, but whatever. Um, so as far as what NADOC events look like, it's very diverse. I don't think that you actually have to get like official, you know, you don't have to get official permission or anything to run right, a NADOC right week event so there's heaps and heaps of performances art exhibitions uh workshops one that was uh, listed on the official native website was called acknowledge this how to give an an authentic acknowledgement of country um which i thought was cute there's also just on that note the party room the abc podcast that zach you know uses his personal vendetta against to fuel the research (laughs) that goes into this show um have because of this week's this year's NADOC week have started doing acknowledgements and they're just so I don't know like I mean not that ours is like fabulous or whatever necessarily but it's just like oh oh you've only realized after like 30 years of being journalists that you should do this and have managed to do such a weak job of it anyway maybe we can mm. send them acknowledge this that sounds like a useful resource that's what i was you trying to maybe, say that's what maybe they that sounds the useful workshop. yeah yeah <laughs> let's send pk the link on twitter <clears throat> um and there's like you know there's a there's more official nadoc events that are kind of organized by the committee itself or uh, the government, there's NADOC balls. There's also like rallies and marches, more kind of, you know, community-based events like that. I know there's one happening in Mianjin, a.k.a. Brisbane, um, which, you know, and these these are kind of more like, you know, celebratory events, that kind of thing. There's an awards ceremony, as I mentioned, Lifetime Achievement Awards, Elf, mm-hmm. Elder of the Year, that kind of thing gets given out. Uh, last year, David Golpalil, uh, sorry, in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, Yolnu Man David Golpalil won. Uh, lifetime, a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, and Female Elder of the Year went to Thelma Weston, who uh, is, a, is a leader in health and community services. She manages a needle exchange. So cool. those are the kinds of people that are getting recognized. And, and yeah, there's a theme every year uh, for NADOC. And this year it's Heal Country. And there's been a lot of um, 
very nice kind of genuine responses to this theme. Uh, you know, like uh, ABC Indigenous has been doing a series interviewing Indigenous people, asking them what the theme means to them. Um, but I think there is also this element of like, oh, we're going to... Cool, we'll just do that we'll, then. For one week, we'll focus on healing country. I just wanted to play a clip from this week's episode of Bro Originals uh, on that. I was thinking, what are we going to do for NADOC? We have to do something special for NADOC, especially this year when it's Heal Country. This is the theme of NADOC. Like, also, well, how? <laughs> how, are we, how are we going to do that? The, the, the theme of country... The theme of NADOC is Heal Country. The theme of country is NADOC. <laughs> it's Heal that's, NADOC. <laughs> I don't think... That's not a theme. That's a directive. It's like, we you can't just have this as a theme. It's not... Under the Sea or the 70s. This is, like, Hill Hills Country is like, <laughs> That's it's like a full-on mission. <laughs> I want to... Yeah, like, it is. It should have just been NADOC, close the gap. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. Like, I, I, want, I don't want it to be a day of celebration anymore. I want it to be a day of retribution or or avenging a day of the revolution nadoc the revolution that's next year <laughs> nadoc revolutions that would be good this oh fuck it yes. reloaded <laughs> really really great episode this week it was yeah Pro originals yeah. yeah highly recommend going and checking that out they go you know much deeper on those questions around nadoc as well which is uh but also they're very funny so go and check them out yeah, one of the other major conversations that does happen around NADOC is the fact that it is, at this stage, fairly corporate, um, uh, or elements of it are fairly corporate. So, you know, for example, it is sponsored this year by Facebook, Instagram, and Woolworths. Okay. Uh, yeah, which makes it very tempting also for other corporations sure. to hitch their wagon to. And um, one example would be fossil fuel company Santos, who tweeted... Around Australia, we celebrate NADOC week from 4th till 11th of July. This year's theme is Heal Country, with a focus on recognising, protecting, and maintaining all aspects of culture and heritage for all Australians. And they've got a picture of the, uh, the official 2021 NADOC poster, which is an artwork called Care for Country. Now, this tweet included um, like a bit.ly link, which... I assumed would be a link to some kind of like Santos media release about how yep. they, you know, they're so they respect First Nations people so much or whatever. But it's just a link to the NADOC website, um, specifically the section that describes the theme, which includes this quote from the NADOC website: "For generations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been calling for stronger measures to recognise, protect, and maintain all aspects of our culture and heritage for all Australians." We have continued to seek greater protections for our lands, our waters, our sacred sites, and our cultural heritage from exploitation, desecration, and destruction. Uh, and apropos of nothing, here's an ABC headline from January this year. Great. Santos's $4.7 billion Barossa gas field could produce more CO2 than liquid natural gas. Reports wow. Says. That's... <laughs> That's efficient. healing as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. I, country is 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 coming alive around that fucking gas project. So yeah, um, in, in terms of how NADOC, you know, given that context, in terms of how NADOC week is 
uh, received by indigenous communities obviously there's going to be a huge diverse mix of opinions and also the week itself contains uh various different you know activities mm -hmm. and approaches you know it's literally it contains a day of you know started as a day of celebration and a day of mourning so there's all these kind of different things mixed up in it yep. but i thought i'd offer a couple of perspectives here from uh indigenous commentators uh whose work we follow um, so I'm going to start here with a quote from Luke Pearson, a Gamilaroi man who is the founder of Indigenous X, uh, which many people might know as, you know, a great source of uh, news on First Nations issues. Definitely go and support we them. We use Here's a lot quote on from this Luke. show. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, and here's, a quote, here's that quote from uh, Luke Pearson. As the funding for many NADOC events is now given to government agencies and local councils, the protest and advocacy elements of NADOC week have slipped off the radar of many events, and instead they focus on providing a cultural showcase for the wider community. This is not in itself an entirely a negative thing, as there are countless artists, performers, entertainers, and workshop providers who take advantage of such events to promote elements of their culture and advocate for increased awareness of culture and issues affecting Indigenous people. Not only that, it is important to celebrate. We sure as hell need it every now and then. Um, and following on from that, I also wanted to read a couple of tweets from uh, Niyuka Gori, who's a Kunai Gurnai Gundajimara Rajari and Yorta Yorta screenwriter and essayist. They had this to say on Twitter. Seriously, though, the shift from focusing on celebration opposed to resistance is a strategy deployed by colonizers. Not saying we can't have joy, but focusing on the bits of us that can be shared with whites absolves the beneficiaries of colonization. We don't have to share anything. We've given enough and they've stolen enough. Same thing with getting cops out of pride. Hmm. So... It is interesting, you know, as kind of over its history that NADOC really starts to protest and moves more towards celebration. And that effectively mm. means that it can now be endorsed by the government, get government funding, be endorsed by corporations. You know, unlike something, for example, like Invasion Day, which, you know, right, right. you're not going to see any government organizations or corporations, you know, hitch their wagon to that particular event. And I think that um, pride analogy, the, the the analogy with with pride that Niyuka made, I think is quite apt. That uh, there's a similar sort of process of the depoliticization required for acceptance by you know mainstream mm. establishment, mm. you know in this case the white establishment. Um, but you know the, I think it's it's very complicated. I don't think that you can you know that uh, I definitely don't want to. You know, center my own perspective here at all. I think that there's, you know, uh, lots of really valid feelings on on kind of you know of lots of valid negative and positive feelings about NADOC Week. Yep. Um, but you know, I, I also think it's important to recognize that celebration is necessary and healthy, as as Luke Pearson points out. Um, and I love the idea of having an occasion, you know, celebrating First Nations people rather than you know. As we currently have, we've got a lot of events that either erase or mm. actively like antagonize and traumatize mm. indigenous peoples. So yeah, I mean, I think the public holiday is a great idea personally. I can understand, you know, like a fairly large public indigenous uh, organization like the Vic per First Peoples Assembly not being like abolish Australia Day. They're kind of, sure. you know, too close to government to be able to take that position. But yeah, fuck, abolish Australia Day, make Nidoc Week a public holiday. I mean, great. Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll finish up here, um, you know, just by uh, offering a resource 
which can point you in the direction of some good things to do um, as an ally. Uh, if you think, you know, wondering, you know, what are some ways that you can support First Nations people this week? There was a really good tweet thread from African-Australian speaker and activist Khadija Blah on Twitter. Um, and when, I'm going to put a link to that tweet thread in the show notes. And that's got a great list of podcasts to listen to. Uh, articles and books to read, campaigns to support, organiz organizations to donate to. A lot of that's, these um, things will be familiar to people who listen to the show regularly. The Dajawa Foundation is on mm -hmm. there. Indigenous X is on there. The work of uh, Dr. Chelsea Wadigo is on there. Um, so lots of really great uh, places to throw your support if you're looking for something uh, material to do this week. Thanks so much for that, Zach. That's a really interesting history. And yeah, the I think, you know, the conflicted feelings um, about it uh, make a lot of sense. And yeah, uh, it's good to get a bit more history about where they came from. Um, but now it's time for... Shitpost of the Week! Yeah, we thought this week, you know, just look, let's do a little bit of a roundup. Yeah, of, there's uh, a bit of a bunch good of good Good memes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Send a Lydia Thorpe, who we had on the show uh, very briefly ages ago, um, posted this meme of two uh, white guys in suits running through some sort of uh, corporate environment. Um, and it says, Meanwhile, in Canberra, it's NADOC week. Where is that dot painting? Put up the flags, book the dances. What's the theme this year? Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of memes going around about the, um, maybe slightly tokenistic way that certain organizations mm. and governments might engage with NADOC week. Um, there's a, a, yeah, another one here from Travis DeVries. Again, go listen to Bro Originals, great podcast. And um, it's uh, somebody whispering lemon myrtle into someone else's ear. And then that person's uh, hair standing on end yeah. and getting goosebumps, um, which, you know, <laughs> Like Travis talks a lot about <laughs> lemon myrtle and about experiencing um, lemon myrtle, like critical levels of lemon myrtle content <laughs> during NADOC, uh, which I was like, you know, uh, I was like, that's funny. Um, but then when I was scouring the NADOC website, I was on their page. It was like 20 thing, 20 suggestions for how to, for, you know, NADOC up your life. For, yeah, exactly. 20 suggestions for NADOC week. And number 11 is... On the official NADOC website, get creative in the kitchen using Australian bush food and native ingredients such as kangaroo, macadamia, or lemon myrtle. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, my hair oh, stood oh, on end as you oh. said that. A, listeners, I can only assume the same for you. Uh, yeah, and then we got one from uh, Kira from uh, Beautiful, De Beautiful Talented Deadly, uh, meme crafter extraordinaire, also friend of the show, uh, appeared on the show very early on. Uh, and they made this meme that actually, maybe you should take this one, Zach. It is a film one, and I don't want to try and stumble my way through it. So what? Yeah. No, we have to. Well, okay, we can we can split the parts. Okay. So this is uh, the the template where Spider Man is talking to Samuel Jackson and uh, Kobe Smulders from uh, How I Met Your Mother. You know, and for, <laughs> I for don't, the, uh, which Avengers is movie. exactly why yeah. I handed over this meme to you, Zach. Yeah. Yes. And so why don't you be Spider Man, and I'll be the other two people. Okay. What about Thor? Offworld. Captain Marvel? Unavailable. Kira? It's Nadok! That was my best um, 
Samuel L. Jackson impression. And the caption for that one was um from Kira was I don't do shit on NATO. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Relax, uh, kick back, take it easy. And then this last one, which honestly, I mean, I'm going to have to partially hand over to you, but is it's also a Simpsons meme. And this is from Ash Dahlstrom, <laughs> uh, at Ash Dahlstrom on Twitter, um, friend of the show, written to us a few times. Thank you, Ash. Um, how could Denmark let England get into the Euro finals on NADOC week? And it's but as Denmark coming in and there's Homer with the Aboriginal flag uh, sort of glaring at him on the stairs. And I'm pretty sure this is from the episode where Bart gets a like a big brother for like orphaned kids or whatever. And he <laughs> yeah, he comes in the door and Homer's like, you've been spending that time. Uh, you've been spending time with that brother of yours. Haven't you? Haven't you? <laughs> um, but I don't quite follow the footy thing. I, I've, I've been seeing other memes. Can I run this past you? Is it? <laughs> yes. If Denmark loses England's in the finals and everyone hates England, uh, and now it's up to Italy to beat England? Is that... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you. I think you've constructed a sentence that's quite confusing there, but I think that you understand <laughs> the concept of a I... sports competition, <laughs> at least in the abstract. That's, a, that's the vibe I get from what I saw you just a really said good, to me. I saw a really good meme um, that was all of Europe having Italy flags and then England having a Denmark flag. And <laughs> it, someone posted it in a game group being like, when you invade the HRE and all of Europe turns against you, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it was good. But I've, I've been trying to figure out how one team winning means another team loses. So are, but... you, are you familiar with the concept of a semifinal? Yes. So there was a semifinal <laughs> and one of the teams lost <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and the other team gets to go into the final. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Following yeah. so far. And uh, England Denmark... being a constant fucking disappointment to everybody, yeah. even <laughs> even when they win, it's very fucking disappointing to uh, to us, especially at this time of year. I mean, come on, show some fucking respect. Anyway, now it's time to move on. Hey, man, I got some more beers. Oh, uh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. Now, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. So there has been a lot of Corona news this week in New South Wales, but we're not going to cover that um, because we are Melbourne supremacists. But we'll 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 cover that stuff next week. But this week, um, I wanted to talk about a slightly more positive uh, Corona story. This is about uh, a, a town called Manangrida, which is a remote Aboriginal community in Arnhem Land, Northern Territory. Population of about twenty three hundred people. Uh, this is on the lands of the Gunabidji people. I hope that I haven't pronounced that too incorrectly. Uh, and it's a big AFL town, apparently. Um, I watched uh, a YouTube video that opened with, they say in Manangrida, you're born with a footy in your hand. <laughs> so do with that information what you will. Right. Uh, but this week, Manangrida set a Northern Territory record for the most COVID vaccines administered in a day. 453 vaccines, um, bringing the total number of Manangrida residents who have gotten their first dose of Pfizer up to over 1,300. Wow. Which, you know... More than half of the town's population, pretty fucking good. So, staff at the Manangrida Health Clinic put their high turnout down to good communication from elders and people being reached out to in traditional languages. So, sense. Charlie Gunabara is the chairman of the Malala Health Service Aboriginal Corporation, which is the 
community-run health service in Memangrida. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was the first person to get vaccinated. So, you know, this setting yeah, a great example. So on. Yeah. Exactly, you know, stepping up. Uh, and he worked really hard personally to encourage community members to get the vax. I've got a quote here from an ABC article on this. Mr. Gunnabara said, chatting to people during their evening card games, a popular social activity at Manangrida, was a successful method for spreading the message. On Friday after work, I had to show up at eight card games. There are so many people at these card games. To give them the message, tell them the story of what will happen if it does hit the community of Manangrida. We've got so many different language groups here, so the message was, we're going to lose that language and lose our elders. Mm -hmm. um, and he mentions that we've got so many different language groups. Um, apparently there are more than 13 different languages spoken in Mandarin. Yeah, wow. So you can imagine the importance of having people, yeah, reaching out in language. Yeah. I also, just the card game details. Yeah, I wonder what I games that. they play. Is it like, are they all canasta heads? Is, are there bridge I'm, clubs? I, I don't know. It's Manangrida. They, yeah. Try as I might, I couldn't find out. Uh, if right. you know what card game is getting played in Manangrida, please hit us up. We would love to know. Some hard-hitting um, journalism that we can't do, but would love to know about. <laughs> we'll outsource it, yeah. Um, there was also a really nice quote in this ABC article from the primary healthcare manager for the mm -hmm. Malala Health Service, a woman named Jessica Gaddy. Uh, and she was talking about how they had a sausage sizzle set up outside the pop-up clinic, which was a big help with uh, getting people in mm -hmm. the door. I've got a quote from her. It was like some sort of music concert set up outside, with people just lining up at the gate waiting to get inside. Sunday was amazing, and I think by the end of that, everyone was on a huge high. I think we must have gone through thousands of sausages in four days. That's adorable. Um, yeah, which, like, you know, if you're getting... If you're Fucking vaccinating party. Yeah, Yeah. well, exactly. Um, but, you know, the idea as well that, like, the people running the clinic were, like, on this high by the end of it, like, just, right. you know... This is such a nice success story, um, which uh, I, I think is really great, but there's some important extra context for this story that actually wasn't in this article where mm -hmm. uh, this ABC article that I came across, uh, which is that earlier this year in March, Manangrida took full control of its local health service after 45 years of that service being wow. under government oversight. So apparently it's been an over 20 year process of trying to bring this like uh, local health service. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> under uh, control of, of local residents. And again, um, uh, going to refer to Charlie Gunabara here, and he spoke about how the community had suffered far too many deaths and that a health service that was controlled by traditional owners and focused on culturally appropriate care was the solution. Um, this is part of a Northern Territory labor policy to give remote community residents more control over their health services. Mm -hmm. At least that was a promise they made before the 2016 election, but so far there's only around three health clinics yeah. that have been fully handed over to community control that I could find. Sure. Um, but so, you know, the Malala Health Service passing to community management is a result of years and years mm. of hard work and organizing by the Manangrida community. Um, but ultimately, this story is the same as so many other stories that we have covered on this show and tells us exactly the same thing that we always see. Mm. When Indigenous communities manage their own health care, the results are better every single time. And in fact, in, in preparing for this episode, I went back and listened to our very third episode ever because it happened to be NAIDOC week and I wanted to see what else that we had discussed. And in that episode, we talked about a program introducing uh, Indigenous midwives into remote communities and how 
you know, infant mortality rates basically mm. plummeted mm. once culturally appropriate care was introduced there. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's the same yeah. story every and, time. So, you know, we, we also talked about it in the Closing the Gap episode, I think it was last year sometime, um, when I was talking about some of the new targets that were being put in and included stuff about how much of the workforce was from people from from the community um and that just like it's not only healthcare but it's also education and it's also social work and it's also everything else that when we hand over control to the traditional owners they do a really good job of it um but i also wanted to make another little aside while we're sort of on the covid vex story which is about st joseph's and it's a pretty shitty story and you know we're not going to do the whole thing but like um uh 163 students at st joseph's which is a very prestigious and wealthy boarding school uh catholic school i'm pretty sure yeah Yeah. st joseph's yeah i think Um, it's the most expensive catholic school in the country there you go yeah um and so 163 of their students got the first pfizer dose and this was as part of a program that the school had reached out to the New South Wales Department of Health saying, we've got all of these uh, indigenous kids from remote communities who board with us. Can we get people out here to give them vaccines? And then the staff rocked up and apparently, quote, fewer than five of the 163 students who got the vaccine were indigenous. And like the nurses rocked up and were basically like, well, we're fucking here now. We can't really say no, which they could have. Mm. But like, I mean, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to put these kids on blast for getting the vaccine. No, and it's not but... the nurses either. No, no, or the nurses. Exactly, exactly. It's a weird, shitty situation. But my point of it is that white Australia has a very well established pattern that you literally don't even need to like look back for. It's like literally the same day news. Mm. White Australia helps ourselves when we pretend to help First Nations people. You know, Twiggy Forrest, just another example that we love to talk about mm. on the show. And He's the poster boy for that shit. Yeah. He is. He's a poster boy for this. This gross exploitation in the name of assistance. And yeah. if we actually wanted to help, we would just return the land and, you know, restore sovereignty, and which, you know, it's never ceded, but has been trampled on by colonial Australia. And let them let them run their own country you know it's extremely effective as demonstrated in this story um yeah Yeah, well i think i mean it's one of the major criticisms that i've heard of the heal country theme of nadoc week is like you know how can you heal a a country that is occupied that is colonized that is actively being exploited currently so yeah Yeah. you know if you really want to heal country then uh we need to be talking about land back um and, and yeah, just before we get off this, I know we've already shouted out uh, Travis, Travis several times this episode. He's just he a good been, content machine, you know, it's, it's unavoidable. content bombs this week, yeah. Uh, and he, he tweeted this, which really got me. Sorry, we accidentally healed country only at St. Joseph's. Yeah. Now it's time for... Positivity yeah, and so this is one of our classic SnackPod-style original negativity corners, which is that it is actually a nice thing, but it's some cool activism that's being done because the world sucks. Mm. Um, well, I feel like our Corona story was uncharacteristically positive. I was also so thinking that, yeah. Maybe so. we can let some of that sort of, 
yeah, seep through, cross pollinate into this section. Yeah. Um, so Seed, uh, also called Seed Mob, uh, an indigenous youth climate activist organization that sort of grew out of slash parallel to AYCC, the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, um, and Seed do a bunch of really good work. Yeah, so uh, just recently they brought a petition to the Senate that led to an inquiry being established, which is pretty much the best possible outcome for a petition to government. Mm. It's super incredible. Like, you know, whenever you sign petitions on the street or whatever, maybe 1% of those petitions end up going to Parliament and a smaller proportion of them end up having fucking literally anything done about it. Yeah, Yeah. so this is, like, impressive. It's big. Yeah, Uh, see the fucking badass. They are. They do great work. And so according to their website, quote, In response to concerns raised by traditional owners on the front lines of fracking in the Northern Territory, the Senate voted to establish a parliamentary inquiry into Morrison's $50 million handout for big oil and gas corporations to fast-track their plans for fracking in the Beetaloo Basin. This inquiry gives us a chance to shine a much-needed light on the huge risks of fracking and the dodgy ways in which these corporations are trying to cash in on the government's promise of public money to rush ahead and frack more wells this year, despite traditional owners and Aboriginal communities continually standing up and saying no. Mm. So, yeah, that's pretty clear. Um, Fracking is just so destructive to country and, and like, to land. Like, even in a way that coal mining sort of... I mean, is also awful, but like with coal mining, you just like you cut out a couple of mountains, and it's disturbing. And like, there's obviously a lot of other impacts of it. But with gas mm. fracking, it destroys the aquifers underground in a way that just can like kill whole like ecologies. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole logic of extractive industry and and fossil fuels in general is basically. You know, you make a certain amount of profit versus a certain amount of destruction, mm. but that ratio is even more viciously out of whack when it comes to fracking. Like the amount totally, of, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. The amount of irreparable environmental yeah. harm done by yeah. fracking versus what you actually get out of it, even in a purely financial sense, is just like it's just very upsetting to think about. Yeah, yeah, and um. This was true, you know, six, seven years ago when I was working on fracking a bunch. I can only Mm. assume it's still true now. But the whole industry is a series of, like, pyramid schemes where Mm. small companies buy exploration licenses and then prove it and then hand them over to big companies. And then the big companies sort of, like, only drill one well ahead of the investors that they've got. And, like, anyway, yeah, it's... um, we we don't have time to go into fracking in general. We're talking about this seed thing and this inquiry. Um, and I looked into it, and I was going to ask our listeners to make submissions, but the inquiry was only open to submissions for two weeks. Um, oh. And I had a look on the other current inquiries going on by this particular Senate subcommittee, um, mm. and all of them were at least a month, and most were like six or seven weeks. Um, so it seems pretty sus to me that they would have such a short thing. Yeah. I'm sure partly it's because of the turnaround, uh, right? Like the, there's this issue about fast-tracking wells. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but I th- would say that a much bigger reason is that they don't want submissions except from people <laughs> like the oil and gas companies who can pay people to make a report in fucking three days and who yeah. don't have to go around to... 
people who might not have great internet access and ask them to fill something out by hand and then post it in or, you know, whatever it is, you know, like yeah. it, it, it just seems like a great avoidance technique. Um, so yes, the submissions are now closed, but the report is due in the first week of August. So we'll probably have more on this story for you then. Hmm. I think a great example, bringing it back to the heel country theme that right. first nations people are always on the front lines of environmental mm-hmm. struggle when it comes to climate, you know, always leaders. Yeah. Um, this is, and, you know, obviously it's not just related to, uh, you know, climate or some kind of, you know, mm. Western conceptualization of treating you the know, earth pollution well. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. These, these are, you know, you know, healing country is, you know, for indigenous people is going to have, you know, enabling indigenous people to heal country by, giving land back by, you know, respecting sovereignty is going to have massive positive knock-on effects Mm. for the environment that we Mm. all live in. So, you know, I think it's very important to frame that as, you know, it's not just this, like, uh, it's not this issue that is specific to Indigenous people either. Yeah. Just something I wanted to touch on. Uh, Now let's move on. AC. AB. AC, AB. So yeah, the the next couple of stories are going to be discussing uh, deaths of Indigenous people in 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 police custody. So um, just want to give a content warning for that, and we'll put time codes in the show notes if you want to uh, skip these two stories and go just to uh, the pup date at the end. Um, so the first thing that we wanted to discuss here was uh, the death of a Gunai Gundajmara and Wiradjuri man whose parents have asked for him to be referred to as Raymond Knoll. He was killed in 2017 in a car crash after police started chasing him. This was in Thornbury in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last week, the coronial inquest into his death wrapped up. I just wanted to start off here with a quote from his father, Ray Thomas. Raymond Knoll was an absolutely beautiful, kind-hearted person. He had a beautiful nature and was very protective of his family and community. He was six foot eight and was affectionately referred to around friends and community as the gentle giant. He is deeply missed. His brothers are totally devastated. They would always yarn and laugh and joke. It's been a constant up and down for us. Some days you feel okay. Some days it hits you. I'll be doing work and then just tearing up. Have to leave the room to settle myself. And Ray Thomas uh, also talked uh, outside the coroner's court in Victoria about Raymond Knoll's first encounter with the cops when he was mm. only 10 years old. Two police officers came along and they, appre- and they apprehended our boys, handcuffed them and made them sit down in the gutter. And one of the officers said, if you move, I'll shoot you. So that's the first interaction with the police as a 10 year old. Fuck. Which is, yeah, just absolutely shocking, but obviously not at all surprising Standard. when it's literally yeah. legal to imprison <clears throat> children as young as 10 in this country. Uh, so let's go through now what happened in 2017. So Raymond Knoll was driving to the supermarket, uh, to get chocolate late at night. I think it was about 11 o'clock. He passed a patrol car, which was being driven by Sergeant John Sabenga. This is what that cop Sabenga told the inquest was his reasoning for starting to follow Raymond Knoll's car. The car to me was worthy of a closer look because it was suspicious. In my experience, a car travelling in back side streets in about this area at night with interstate plates is worthy of a check. 
it's hard to sum up. It was just dodgy. Which hmm. I didn't think you could. Yeah. Ooh, like, what? What? Huh, well, why does it? Why, why do you get the suspicious feeling? Hard, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Couldn't quite put my finger on. I couldn't quite put my finger on the ra- the racial profiling. My own racism. Yeah. Um. So this cop chucks a U-turn, follows Raymond Knoll, and then gets his partner in the car with him to run the plates. And they see that the car is unregistered. Then Raymond Knoll speeds up to try and get away from the cops. They follow him. They reach speeds of over 150 kilometers per hour. And we are talking suburban residential streets here. Thornbury. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, in Thornbury. They don't, you know, the, the cops at no point turn on their lights or sirens. They didn't call it in as a chase. 21 seconds after cops started chasing him, Raymond Knoll crashed his car and was killed on impact. So let's just sum up what happened mm-hmm. here. An Aboriginal mm-hmm. man was going to the shops to get chocolate. The cops start chasing him based on a feeling, which I think we can fairly describe as fucking racism. The man runs and he's killed. Until the police got involved, nothing mm. dangerous was happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just the most textbook example of cops not preventing violence but causing it. Yeah. Um, and just as an aside on that, uh, when I was doing research around this story, trying to find a photo of uh, this police sergeant Sebenga, and I found mm-hmm. one in him. Found one of him in this Herald Sun piece about hooning, okay. about how dirt bike yeah. hoons are dangerous mm-hmm. and that the cops were mounting this special operation to get special dirt bike cops to chase down the hoons. So again, like who's the dangerous one here? We like for years and years, policy has been to restrict the circumstances under which cops are allowed to give, give chase, chase to cars sure. because we know that it's so fucking dangerous. Mm-hmm. And this particular guy is like, you know, He's the he's give trained chase guy. In, yeah, well, yeah, he's, you know, and specially trained in this stuff. And and this is, you know, like the most highly trained police chase guy you could be. And this is what happens. Like, you know, it's, it's yeah. just fucking outrageous. So the other aspect of this story uh, went down during the inquest itself. So a whole bunch of extra cops showed up to the inquest. So... Supporters of Raymond Knoll's family had been encouraging people to come to the inquest to show their support. And according to Victoria Police's assistant commissioner, the cops interpreted this as, quote, the intelligence suggested that there was a need for a police presence. What? So. Oh, yeah, cops... yeah, yeah. Whenever people um, attend a legal proceeding about the death of their child, you got to have cops. Just to be safe. Yeah. So the cops that were sent down were the fucking port team, the public order response team, which down here in Victoria like are riot squad. You know, yeah, riot slash crowd control. But you know, these are the most mm. fucking violent, kitted out to the teeth with high tech weaponry. And you might recall that guy flashing a white supremacist uh hand gesture. These are the guys who beat up protesters at IMARC. Yeah. Um and dismantled the homeless camp before the tennis open. These are the like Dirty work. 
even more yeah, than the absolutely. other cops. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just recently I was watching a, a Tom Tanneke video about an anti-lockdown protest where the port cops mm. beat the ever-living shit out of a bunch of anti-lockdown protesters who, you can, you can argue the merits of their cause, but, like, you could see that these right. guys were fucking champing at the bit to be able to use their special toys like you know the mm-hmm. speed with which they get out the pepper spray anyway these are the fucking people that are sent down to an, to the to the inquest yep. now the yep. coroner was not happy about this uh sally rugg who uh change.org and get up i think is who she works for that she was present at the inquest and she quoted the coroner on twitter for this entire inquest, the family have been nothing but dignified. There is no need for extra security in my court. So this was not requested by the court at all. No. This is the cops acting, you know, on their own initiative. Sally Rugg also tweeted, quote, apparently staff at the coroner's court told police they had to leave. So the police have waited across the road all morning until the break, waiting for Aboriginal family members in case they have a warrant on them. What the fuck? Again, you know, shocking, but not not surprising. I've also got a quote here from April Day, daughter of uh, Tanya Day and one of the founders of the Dajua Foundation, who we've um, d- discussed on the show before. She said, quote, It was extremely disappointing that Victoria Police had decided to bring uniformed officers here on Wednesday while the family are grieving and only trying to seek answers to what happened to their son. It has p- only perpetrated more violence on this family and only caused more harm and grief. Which, yeah, I mean, what, you know, what else can you say? It's like, hey, we killed your kid. We're going to fucking stand around and staunch you as you come out of court. Like, it's so gross. Oh, like, if... It's it, just ga- it's gang behavior. It's, th- it's seriously, thuggery. Seriously. And so the coroner, even though, you know, he was clearly unhappy with this, later, uh, you know, I think in his closing remarks, it was let the cops off with, you know, I don't think this was malice. I think it was ignorance, which I think is fucking bullshit. Their presence yeah. was there. Their presence there was absolutely calculated intimidation. Absolutely. Being outraged by police violence or protesting police violence, unacceptable mm-hmm. to the cops. Mm-hmm. And it's the perfect opportunity for them to create a situation where they get to create more violence. You know, just think about this cycle. Like, if you step back, you know, they, this, the, the cops traumatized this indigenous man as a child, racially profiled him as an adult, directly caused his death, and then show up with extra muscle and weaponry to the inquest into his death, just to remind the family that they could be next if they step out of line. Mm-hmm. Like, and of course, you know, are there cons- any consequences for the cops involved in this right. incident? Of course, no, fucking obviously not. not. No. There were some recommendations made by the coroner's assistant in terms of like, oh, we'll put more cameras in pursuit vehicles. We'll give them more training or whatever. Again, this guy who was chasing Raymond Knoll, who made the decision based on a fucking gut instinct, oh, this guy looks dodgy to me. He was very, very highly trained. He's been involved in several Mm. pursuits. Mm -hmm. He's basically gotten, you know, as much training as you can as a cop to deal with this kind of situation. And this is what happens. We don't need more training. It's the same as, you know, uh, George Floyd, the when Derek Chauvin murdered him, he wasn't using like official police restraint techniques. Yeah. And then fucking Joe Biden is like, oh yeah, well we'll put in more training about how to use these techniques. Or like they banned a technique that wasn't the one that he used. And like, it... yeah, I don't know. So no, I, like, I, I more... don't really have a, a, a no more, more bureaucracy is not going to stop these exactly. violent racist training power trippers. Doesn't stop them being no, murderers. Absolutely. And, like, so, uh, 
they know that even if they do kill indigenous people, that there are not going to be fucking consequences yeah. for yeah. them anyway. Uh, you know, and th- this is uh, why I found friendly Geordie's take the other week to be so mm. it, it just it, so upsetting and so wrongheaded. You know, if you want to talk about a police state, here it is. Look at this cycle of violence. Yeah. yeah. You know? <clears throat> anyway. Finish off here with another quote from Raymond Knoll's dad, Ray Thomas. Raymond Knoll was a beautiful, kind-hearted person who had a beautiful nature. Whenever he walked into a room, he'd light it up. All right. Well, now we're going to do another similar story, which is a Fashy Australia story. Fashy Australia. And, you know... These, you know, ACAB, Fashy Australia, they could be each other. And unfortunately, we have to talk about the same fucking violent, murderous, genocidal police so often that having two segments to cover the same shit is necessary. Um, but yeah, I, I know Zach already gave the content warning, and uh, but um, yes, this is going to be more discussion about uh, First Nations men who died in police custody and some other people who have died. So, yep. Um, we've been covering the death of Wayne Feller Morrison, um, over the last couple of months. Um, he died while in police custody. Um, and we've also been talking about the inquest into his death that's been going on, um, quite some time now. And, uh, I'm just going to briefly describe what happened to him. We've talked about it before, but, um, I, I think it's important to remember when I'm going to sort of get to the news bit of this. So this is from The Guardian. Morrison, a 29-year-old Wiradjuri, Kokata, and Warungu man, had not been convicted of any crime and was being held on remand. In the lead-up to his death, Morrison had been restrained by the wrists, ankles, placed in a spit hood, and positioned face down in the back of a transport van with five officers. When they took him out of the van at the other end, he was unresponsive and died in hospital soon afterwards. And so, yes, there's been coronial inquest going on, which we've talked about regularly over the last few months and there's been a bunch of sad but unsurprising revelations from witnesses that you know it's come up a bunch in this episode there's all of this shocking but unsurprising genocidal bullshit going on Mm. so for example a cab driver heard guards at the prison talking about destroying evidence of dna evidence on their uniforms Mm. um the fact that cctv footage from the police van was quote obscured by the head of one of the guards standing in front of it. So we don't know what happened in there. And uh, Zach, I think you talked about this recently, a couple of weeks ago, the guards have been relying on legal defenses that basically excuse them from giving evidence. Um, And I know we talked about that, but I just wanted to read this quote from the coroner because um, it's cooked. In the extreme application of these privileges, we're fast reaching the point at where this inquiry is being obstructed, said the coroner, Jane Bashir. I don't say that lightly, but it's virtually impossible for me to establish even the most basic of facts, because the manner in which the privilege being asserted is so robust that even the most innocuous question attracts it. Um, yeah, they, they were like cl- claiming this privilege of, I'm not going to, I don't have to give any evidence that, incri- that might incriminate me or might cause me to lose my job. They were invoking that on questions of like, were you there on the day? Yeah. What time like, do you start what, your shift? Yeah. Which, like, why do you think you, we already know you would? Anyway. Yep. Very, it was yeah, very out, outrageously frustrating. And in fact, a whole bunch of questioning that, that was actually allowed by the coroner had to be later stricken from the record. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Based on the, yeah, that privilege. 
So, yes, a lot of horrifying shit that's been going on. But today, uh, the thing I wanted to talk about today is um, from evidence given by a forensic, a forensic pathologist, Dr. Cheryl Charlwood, who, from my relatively uninformed position, should probably be fired and have her medical qualifications revoked. Um, so, from The Guardian, the South Australian forensic pathologist said that she could not pinpoint a single factor that caused Morrison's death. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I thought I was being witty when I replaced her name with Dr. Charlatan, but now it's confusing to read the notes. But Dr. Charlwood listed five factors she believed contributed to it. Physical exertion, acute psychological stress, excited delirium, genetic susceptibility, and a, quote, potential positional element. So there's three of those that I think we can pretty easily sort of discard. So physical exertion, he was tired. I guess he had just had the shit beaten out of him. And that's tiring. Um, acute psychological stress, aka shitting himself with terror, and genetic susceptibility, which I don't know if you can be genetically predisposed to having the shit beaten out of you by prison guards. Um, so I think all three of those we can kind of handily ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the potential positional element, I think that's a euphemism. Uh, for a well-known form of unaccountable police violence called a rough ride. So from Wikipedia, a rough ride is a form of police brutality in which a handcuffed prisoner is placed in a police van or other patrol vehicle without a seatbelt and is thrown violently about as the vehicle is driven erratically. Um, Because Fella Morrison goes into this van alive and comes out comatose and then and we dies. don't have footage from yeah. what happened in there and the because it was blocked by privilege. this guard's head yes yes but there were i actually five... didn't know that detail i thought yeah. that there just wasn't footage but it, that, it, that it was obscured by a guard is new to me that is so sinister uh yeah pretty fucked and you know it's what i would say is extremely plausible that there was additional violence from those five guards in the back of the van um but this, well, since I think, they won't tell us one way or the other. We can only assume, right? Yeah. Um, innocent until proven guilty, I don't think, should necessarily apply in this particular case. But, you know. Um, uh, Agreed. Sorry, that's a big can of worms that I'm not going to dive it's into. Not but e- it's not even... It's Whatever. Fuck these honestly, guys. Honestly, it's an extraordinarily problematic concept. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm but, fine like, with our position on that being... <laughs> Very critical. Sure. Yeah. Um, So, yes, this potential positional element of being placed face down on a van and then driven around until you... With a spit hood. With a spit hood and with your hands and feet bound so you can't brace yourself or whatever. Plus, presumably kicked a bunch or whatever by these other guards, we can only assume. So, that seems like... That's a big part of the answer. Um, so, uh, yeah, but despite that, uh, Dr. Charlwood said, all of these factors need to be considered and some have more weight than others, but I can't pathologically determine the exact extent or contribution of all those. So these five things that she's listed, none of which are having the shit beaten out of you. Uh, um, it's hard to say which one's there. So those are four of them, but there's this last one, excited delirium. And this is the one that I want to talk about in the story because it's a fascinating and deeply awful story. 
Um, excited delirium is a made-up disorder that doctors paid by the Taser Corporation teach American police as an excuse for murdering black people. Um, and it's been sort of in the public consciousness recently because it came up in George Floyd's murder trial. One of the cops came up to Derek Chauvin and said, oh, hey, uh, I'm worried about excited delirium or whatever, which is a wild thing to say. Um, and Jesus so there's, Christ. Yeah. Um, and now it's here in the Wayne Feller Morrison coronial inquest. Mm. Um, so I'm going to give you the five-minute version, but if you want the three-hour version, I, I strongly recommend listening to the two-part series on Behind the Bastards. Really good podcast you should all listen to, um, and it is my main source for the rest of this episode, but, you know, there's a bunch of articles that you can find very easily uh, if you want more info in, in written form. Um, so I'm just going to quote from Wikipedia about what is excited delirium. It is typically diagnosed post-mortem in young adult males, disproportionately black men, who are physically restrained at the time of death, most often by law enforcement personnel. Symptoms are said to include aggressive behavior, extreme physical strength, hypothermia, and recent use of a stimulant drug such as cocaine or methamphetamine. It is not listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders or the International Classification of Diseases and is not recognized by the World Health Organization, the American Psychiatric Association, or the American Medical Association. So, yeah. So, it's a bullshit medical condition that describes the conditions of being placed violently under arrest. You're yeah. sick with being under arrest. Literally. A symptom of this is being arrested by cops. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, yeah, God. so the the phrase has a... Exactly the kind of history that you might expect for, yes. <laughs> for this fucked up thing. Um, the phrase was coined in the 1980s by an American pathologist named Dr. Charles Wetley to explain why seven black women who were sex workers in Miami had suddenly been found dead. He found they had trace amounts of cocaine in the system and concluded that cocaine makes women die when they have sex in a condition that he called excited delirium. Um <laughs> All right, great, solid scientific That's some doctoring basis right there. on which to build. Yeah, great. Yeah. Again, behind the bus is a lot more on this story. Um, he went on to identify excited delirium in men, which basically causes them to get arrested by police and then die instead of have sex and then die. Oh, uh, yeah, so a few years later, it was realized that... I shouldn't laugh, it's horrifying, but it it's like... Just it's funny that he didn't reason. manage to think for even, like, a third of a second about this. These seven women in Miami had almost certainly been strangled to death by a serial killer, and Dr. Charles Wetley, being a great pathologist, had not noticed the very clear evidence of them being strangled on their bodies. Um, but by this point, he had already written many articles and books about excited delirium, so he just sort of continued to run with it. Um and it was picked up by the Taser Corporation, who, as you can guess, make tasers, uh, they're now named Axon, but whatever. Um, and a really important part of Taser branding is that they're less lethal, um, i.e. Yeah. that they don't kill people, but unfortunately, they are what I would describe as quite lethal, uh, and do in fact kill people. But they were so, previously designated as less than lethal. Less than uh, lethal. And, and, <laughs> it, right. and that had to be changed to because less lethal. it's because not true. Because all of... Yeah, all of the, those weapons that the cops use against crowds are actually very lethal. Yeah, like if fucking you get rubber-coated hit... metal bullets. I, yeah, I think or beanbag yeah. bullets, which are literally just shot in Kevlar. Yeah. Like, shotgun pellets in in a Kevlar beanbag 
That hits you in the head like you... Anyway, sorry. Yep, yep. Uh, so Axon pays doctors to tell courts that deaths caused by tasers were actually caused by excited delirium. Because, as you might expect, taser-related deaths mostly happen after being arrested, which is also one of the symptoms of excited delirium. So, mm, again, this it's is all very medical. Is essentially only diagnosed post-mortem. You can't not die of excited delirium. You can only die of it. Unlike, say, a heart attack, being shot... Um, uh, literally anything else you can have and not die. Like, yep. yep. One of the symptoms is having used drugs recently. Curious. And another is being arrested by cops and then dying. So yeah, it's a literally made up disease that nearly all doctors think is bullshit. It's used by Taser and the police to excuse deaths that they, yeah, cause by blaming a fictional disease. That really, really fucking dystopian crossover point between, like, the interests of capital and the interests of the state, where they team up to just basically defend each other in order to murder and brutalize people. It's like that meme of, like, two people, uh, it's like an anime, I don't know what it's from, um, kicking someone on the ground, and it's like, you know, um... Corporations uh, and the police corporations are kicking and the, someone, and then doctors. And then there's a third person over there, and it's like uh, pathologists, yeah, <laughs> sipping their whiskey, and the pathologist goes and starts kicking his whiskey. Yeah, oh, yep. So, in conclusion, the fact that this pathologist is coming to this inquest and claiming that excited delirium was a factor in Wayne Fellow Morrison's death is extraordinarily disturbing. And, you know, we talked about critical mm. race theory recently, and White supremacy has its own critical race theory, uh, like a series of legal and, in this case, medical doctrines that they make up nonsense and then make it everyone else's fault that white people keep on murdering First Nations Mm. people, um, you know, other people of color, as in the Miami case, you know, sex workers of color. And the prison system is closing ranks around the people who are responsible for Wayne Fellow Morrison's death, and they're using whatever disgusting shit they can pull out of their own septic assholes to make it his fault that he was murdered by a racist police system that he wasn't even supposed to be in. Like, I mean, I'm not saying anyone's supposed to be in there, but he wasn't even fucking charged with anything. He was held on remand, and he was murdered for being there. Mm. And do you know... Did you come across any examples of excited delirium being used as part of a uh, previous coronial inquests in Australia? I didn't actually look into that, but there is something else that I looked into. Uh, hmm. I, I might look into that for next week because that's a good question and I should have done that. But um, I went a slightly different angle with my original research on this story, which was about Dr. Cheryl Sherwood. I looked into her a little bit. And hmm. honestly, I was hoping to find that she had been taught by Charles Wetley, the guy who did the you know, the shitty job of the um, serial killer. Uh, I couldn't find anything that <laughs> obvious, unfortunately. Um, but she has published several papers that I found interesting and that I'd like to tell Alice listeners about and you, Zach. Sure. So two are just uh, quick ones that are interesting to kind of give you an idea about what the sort of thing a forensic pathologist does. So one is about uh, different tests that you can run on someone's eyeballs after they die to determine the cause of death. Uh, and basically there's like a lot of things that you can test for in people's eyeballs and mm-hmm. it gets really expensive really quick. And so she was like, it would be a good idea if we had a list of which ones actually helpfully determine cause of death. And then we can have like a standard suite of tests to run on eyeballs or whatever. So 
Good o. Cool. Um, another is about tattoos as a means of determining cause of death in suicides, um, which is interesting. Um, and I sort of don't want to go into a whole lot of detail about that, but sure. Um, but the third one that I think is specifically relevant to this case is a paper that she was one of three authors on. So, you know, I mean, I can't entirely say this was her who said this, but mm-hmm. it, she did say it. So, yeah. And this paper is titled Customary Law, Traditional Punishment and Death in the APY Lands of Central Australia. And I've actually requested the full article, uh, but I haven't got it as of the time of going to air. So, uh, you know, this might not be fully accurate, but as far as I can see uh, from like the front page or whatever, uh, it's a case study of a young Indigenous man who was killed as part of a, a, quote, customary law or formal organized payback, both of which are terms from the article. And we've actually talked about this before. Uh, there's the Yongnu word makarada and so on. Um, uh, so this guy was stabbed in the leg, presumably by some kind of traditional weapon, and it hit an artery and he bled to death. Um, and yeah, so uh, here's uh, the thing I wanted to draw attention to in this article is this line. Other findings at autopsy included retraction and thickening of the mitral valve and aortic valve leaflets and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. There was no significant natural disease present that had caused or contributed to the death. Toxicological analysis indicated a moderately high blood alcohol concentration with the presence of cannabinoids. No other common drugs were detected. So, Dr. Cheryl, where the fuck is your genetic uh, predisposition? And where the fuck is acute psychological distress? And Mm. where's um, excited delirium? But it's because there are black people that she can blame for these deaths. It's cut and dried. No other possible causes. It was the stab wound. Oh, yeah, yeah, he had heart disease, whatever. That has nothing to do with it. When prison guards are very clearly to blame for black deaths it's oh who knows what could it be it's hard to say maybe it's this made-up taser disease that doesn't exist it's all very complicated uh, so on and i don't know i don't have a neat bow to put on that but it's sad and it's horrifying and it's hypocritical and we should hand sovereignty back absolutely yeah i don't know yeah i just <sighs> seeing this line from her being like oh it was cut and dried just made me so angry that she could then go into court and talk about something that she kn- I'm sure she knows is nonsense. I'm sure she's an intelligent person who knows a lot about pathology and knows excited delirium is total fucking horse shit. But it's just... Ugh. But racism is a hell of a drug. It sure fucking is, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely outrageous hypocrisy. Um, but that's... I mean, yeah, that's so disturbing. And, and to, like, this... Extension, and as we see with in Raymond Knoll's case as well, this extension of the like violence and oppression beyond even the death of a person, but extending mm. into you know how it, whether or not the state will even admit how they died, yep. or you know how the the state treats their family at the inquest while into they're their hearing death. about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, this kind of ongoing violence, but yeah, I mean, as you say, noon, you know, if we're talking about night up week if we're talking about healing country you know we, we need to be talking about land back we need to be mm. talking about mm-hmm. sovereignty uh that's probably going to do us for the news stories this week um so now it's time for the business section if you want a podcast you gotta do a lot of shit 
that's not technically podcasting, you still gotta do that shit. We got some reviews. Hell yeah, thank Thanks. you so much, people. Yeah, we're doing the review drive. We're trying to get to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're at 94, and this week uh, we got three. So here's one from Aiden, in in brackets, Zach and Noon made me log in. Suspiciously in the pocket of Apple, but still five stars. Will you finally stop demanding I leave an Apple Podcast review and making me feel guilty? Will I be able to get a vaccine soon? Answer to both is no. My favorite show every week, insightful, funny, and sweet boys tell us the news and painstakingly describe visual memes from an audio format. I regularly learn things from this podcast and they never post cringe. I love all the segments, I love the updates, and I've really come to love Zach doing close-up little ASMR bits, which may or may not be intended to be a running gag. Noon? Call me. Yeah, it is intended as a running gag, Aiden. You can take that one to your bank. It's my favorite running gag. Last week I did it, and Zach sent me a voice memo on Facebook being like, I really liked that you did that little lean into the mic bit uh, <laughs> that I've been doing. Yeah, it's cute. That's uh, correct microphone technique. Of course, for something like that, you'd need a very large number, number of microphones. microphones. Oh, my, my. Um, you want to take this next one? Yeah, that's fine. All right. There's five stars from D. Fremlin. Yummy, yummy, wiki. <laughs> Sorry, I just stumbled over my tongue. And, yeah. Weaky. <laughs> yummy, yummy, weekly snack pack. Mmm, boy, what a tasty treat. Ever since I left primary school and my mum refused to pack a delicious le snack for me every day, I felt empty inside. Until Snackpod came along. Noon is the crispy, delicious cracker. Zach is much like the warm embrace of the gooey cheese spread. Apart, they stand on their own, ready to face the world. But together... Together they form the Snackpod team, ready to take on liberals with enough trashy Simpsons memes to take down an elephant. Fills the belly and soothes the soul. Thanks to Fremlin. That's delightful. <laughs> I love the high effort approach. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. And finally here, five stars from Squawnks. My go-to pod for Ozpol News. Super insightful and entertaining. I've learned so much about the twisted inner machinations of this country from Noon and Zach. Really appreciate your work. Please give Dante, please give Dante and Bagel an extra little scratchy from me. A cab. I have given Thanks, Bagel an extra little scratchy every time I've read this review, which has been like four or five times now. So <laughs> feels good for us. Feels good yeah. for Bagel. Uh, otherwise, make sure you follow us on the socials: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are doing our best to post. We mm -hmm. promise. And as always, if you really like what we do and you want to support us financially, you can do so over on Patreon dot com slash ospol snack pod support us for one dollar a month get you a monthly bonus episode access to the discord plus other cool stuff at higher levels we'd love to see you over there but now now it's time for a pub game it sure is um <laughs> I, I last night i was thinking about oh what should i do for my pub date i know it hasn't been any Super big news. Um, but I've got this jar of peanut butter that I keep on my desk that I use to, you know, I put a little bit on a Kong or some other gross thing that Bagel has somewhat lost interest in. And suddenly it's the most exciting thing to chew in the entire mm. world. Um, Smart. And, you know, I have a separate dog peanut butter aside from the human As we do. peanut butter. It, it, you, you just need to. It's not. You can't share. No. No. <laughs> you can't uh, share a jar of peanut butter with a dog. As the saying goes. 
It's classic. It's yeah. I say it all the time, uh, but it's only now that I've realized how literal it was. Um, but <laughs> no, but uh, but I, I finally scraped the. I couldn't get any more out with my spoon. But I thought his disgusting little snooter will absolutely be able to get some more. So I I unscrewed it and I gave it to him, and he had the best fifteen minutes of his life. Oh yeah, I give Dante empty peanut butter jars all the time. Well, this he, is the it's first favorite treat. One I think I've. Yeah, well, I think I got it from oh, you, actually. Oh, it's great enrichment. Yeah. The thing is, um, you, often when I come around to your house, you'll, like, finish your meal, and then you put the plate on the floor, and Dante licks up the, the scrap. I, I don't mm. do that. I don't want to teach Bagel that plates are good up to snoot. Him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a variety of other things. But it's adorable. Uh, and so this is the first time that I've been like, oh, this is something that I feel okay about giving him to, to mm. clean up. Anyway, yeah, I, I took it away from him just as he... It was a big one, and he couldn't get his snoot all the way in. So just as he'd started crunching up the bottom to, like, get the uh, get the PB at the, that he couldn't quite reach. It was fucking adorable. I'll post some pictures in the Discord of him doing it. Cute as fuck. He was yeah, holding it between it, his little exactly, hands yeah, with hold, his non-opposable thumbs. The one paw yeah, and, like, yeah. getting in there. And then and the way that Dante will clean, like... Because we have, we, we you know... We have fancy peanut butter in glass jars. And mm, like oh, yeah. completely clean, like ninety percent of the <laughs> yeah, jar and then there's at the bottom where you can't reach. Rim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the rest of the jar is like fucking spotless. Like yeah, you can see yeah. It reflection. was the same with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very, very funny. All right, cool. Thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Um, I hope that uh, you got something out of this episode. Uh, I hope that you go to that Twitter thread in the notes and. Take a couple of those suggestions on things to engage with. Mm-hmm. NADOC week. Uh, I hope you had a good NADOC week, uh, which is you know now finishing at the time of release of this episode. But uh, otherwise, we'll catch you next week and uh, make sure that you keep on snacking in the free world. Fuck most of the people that we talked about. No, that's not good. No, <laughs> we talked about a bunch of cool people. Uh, I mean, if you could uh, say fuck p- pathologists... Fuck criminologists, fuck the entire academic system based around upholding the police state. How about this? uh, Being healthy brings happy heart and beauty. Crunch, crunch. I just want you to get it right one time. (laughs) Once. I'll get the the source material. Being happy brings healthy heart and and beauty. beauty. Being happy brings healthy heart and beauty. Crunch, crunch. How do I... I don't, I don't fucking know, man. I, you have it in front of you. How am I getting it right? <laughs> you, uh, look, to be fair, you also probably know more than, like, three hours of rap lyrics that you could just go back to back, which I I can remember approximately four consecutive words. All right, this... You're saying, so you're saying I'm built to, to remember words. <laughs> Yeah, a seven-word phrase. Is- yeah, that, that's that. Is, that is my special advantage over here. <laughs> crunch, right. crunch. Take it easy. We'll, ca- we'll catch you next week.